I want to begin the message today by asking you two very personal questions. And the first question is, do you personally know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not just about him, not just a few facts about him, but do you know that he has forgiven your sins, that you've repented of your sins, and you're in a personal relationship with him? And when this life is over, you know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Second question. What is your faith in Jesus Christ costing you each and every day of your life? Jesus said that if you're going to follow him, that you would pick up your cross daily and follow him. So there's going to be a cost if you're going to know Christ and you're going to be faithful to follow him. What is your faith in Jesus costing you? Uh, One of the things I look back on my life and even ministry, and I've had the opportunity of worshiping some of the largest churches in America. And sometimes as a pastor, you stand in some of those church facilities and it's almost like you break the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Because when you stand in a worship center that seats 10,000 people, it is a massive facility. I remember one Sunday, Ains and I were worshiping in a church. They had 9,000 people in attendance. They had a 300-voice choir and then they had a band and an orchestra. It was incredible. They had six cameras capturing the live stream of the service that was going out to the nations around the world. And so you stand there and worship in an environment like that and think, Lord, this must be what a great obedient church must look like. Well, let me ask you this question. When you think about being an obedient church, do you have to have large facilities? Do you have to have lots of staff? Do you have to have a multi-million dollar budget to do that? And the answer is no. Uh, when I started in ministry, I preached one church. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. Preached there many, many different times. It was in Monroe County, Kentucky. And it was a church that if, if it was full, they would maybe be able to seat 125 people, not many folks at all. They had no staff other than a bivocational pastor. He was an older man, called later in life, but obeyed the leadership of Christ. He was available. And so he was older in life, bivocational. And you say, what does that mean? It means he had another job as well. So he pastored the church. He worked someone else during, someplace else during a week. And so here this older man is, bivocational, serving this congregation. Again, they wouldn't seat more than 125 people. But what was unique about that, they didn't even really know anything about, about it, a budget either. But what was unique about this church in Monroe County, Kentucky, the hand of God was on those believers. The Spirit of God was moving in their midst. And so one week I'd talk to their pastor and he'd say, we had two people saved on Sunday. Hallelujah for that. I talked to him another week and he said, we had four people saved on Sunday. Talked to him another week and he said, we had three people saved on Sunday. And so they were seeing the favor and the work of God in their midst. Even though they were small, they were an obedient church because God was moving in their midst. Here's how God works. And I don't understand how God works sometimes. Because that pastor called later in life, surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus. He was available, developed cancer in his life, and ultimately passed away and went home to heaven. There are going to be times and seasons and circumstances in life that you're just not going to be able to explain the mind and the ways of God. Why did he do that? And sometimes all we can come and say is, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And you go back and say, I know what you've done on the cross. I know what you've done when it comes to the empty tomb. 
I don't know what you're doing right now, but I know what you've done, and I realize because of what you've done, we have promised that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, and that brother in Christ got the ultimate promotion from life here on this earth to eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. But an obedient church, not always a big church, sometimes a small church. We come today to the church in Philadelphia, again, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, Asia, Minor, Turkey, what we would understand today. And Jesus is going to speak to this church and it's going to be an obedient church. Interesting enough, as you read the words of Jesus, and you need to know this, that this letter to the church in Philadelphia didn't come from Paul, didn't come from Peter, and it didn't come from John. This letter came from the head of the church who is Jesus Christ himself. What kind of letter would he write us here at First Baptist Church? but he's writing the church here in Philadelphia. And when you think about the city in Philadelphia, here's what they were known for in many ways. The church may have been one of the smallest one of the seven, so not a large church, but it was a city. Philadelphia was a city, major trade route, so a lot of people came through Philadelphia. But here's what they were known for. They had one of the largest earthquakes that's been recorded in history in the city of Philadelphia. And so the people always lived on the edge about when another earthquake was going to happen. I don't know if you've ever been through an earthquake or not. Several years ago, Ains and I were in California, and it was on July the 4th, and so we were sitting up by the pool, and then we were going to go somewhere that afternoon. And so she goes back into the hotel, and I'm sitting up by the pool, and then all of a sudden there's a group of people sitting in front of me, and they start cussing. Now, in Kentucky, we say cussing. I think it's cursing is the proper way, but they started cussing. I thought, what in the world is going on? And they started saying, we just had an earthquake. And I thought, really, I missed it. I mean, I can't believe in California had an earthquake and I missed it. So Angie's back in the hotel. I didn't know that. She was going to get the key to the car. The elevators wouldn't work because everybody in there was about this earthquake. It just happened, and I was sitting outside and missed it. So the next day, July 5th, we go out and we have dinner. And uh, so we're still in California. So we have dinner. We go back to the hotel. We're sitting in the room in the hotel, and I'm sitting in a chair, actually asleep. Got my head in my hand just like this, asleep. And all of a sudden, as I'm asleep, I'm going to start shaking. And I wake up and thought, what in the world is going on? And then I look at the wall and see all that stuff on the wall is moving. And then I realize we are having another earthquake. And all of a sudden, we heard outside the door of the hotel people running. thought, what in the world do we do? We've never been in an earthquake like this. What do we do? And so all of a sudden, it stopped. And so we tried to figure this out. We talked to some people in the hallway, and then there were aftershocks. And so that night, we decided we're going to sleep in our clothes because if we need to run quickly, we're going to run quickly. And so you sleep with one eye open because you don't know what's coming next. Earthquake. And so the people in the Philadelphia would understand that because they always lived on edge because of a major earthquake in their history. Interesting about the church in Philadelphia. When you read the letter, and it's not all the letters are the same because they're all unique to these churches, but Jesus had no negative words for the believers in Philadelphia. I mean, it's like you go in for your performance review at your employment place, and they have no criticisms, no corrections. It's just all positive. We're going to do this and do this because you've been a faithful employee. No negative words whatsoever. But when you look at an obedient church, 
Oh, we've seen churches that abandoned their first love. We've seen one that was dying. We've seen others that imploded. And so when you come to an obeying church, how can we be an obedient church at First Baptist Church? And I believe from God's word here in Revelation 3, he gives us insights on how you and me, how we can be an obedient church to Jesus Christ. So I want you to write these down. Number one is faithful people. If we're going to be an obedient church, then we need to be faithful people. Here's what the text says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. He's writing to the messenger. He's writing to the pastor. And so when you look at an obedient church, obedient churches are led by obedient pastors. And when you have an obedient pastor, an obedient pastor wants to hear what Jesus has to say to the church, but also to him personally. And so when you look at this church, to the angels of the church in Philadelphia, writing to an obedient leader is going to be leading an obedient church because this individual wants to hear from the Lord so he can share that with God's people. So he's writing there. And then he comes in and gives some description to him. So when you think about the membership of our church, the body of our church, the family of our church, and so if you're a child or you're a student or you're an adult and you're a part of this church, God has put you in this church for such a time as this. He wants to use you. Whatever age you are, you are in this church for a reason because God wants to use your life to make a difference for his kingdom in and through his church. You have a place in this church. Now, let me give you some words here I want you to write down. If we're going to be faithful people, then these are essential because they're true to God's word. These are biblical principles. I believe the people in Philadelphia were faithful to the Lord, a faithful pastor, but also faithful people. Look at word number one is faithful. Be faithful in attending. That's what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says. We shouldn't forsake the gathering of ourselves, but we should meet Again, why should we meet? Because we need one another. We need to support each other, pray for each other, carry out God's purposes together, and we need to share life together. I just encourage you, be faithful in your church attendance. Be involved in what God's doing in and through this church. Make sure you're available for God to use you. So the first word is faithful. Second word is generous. As our Heavenly Father is generous, that's what John 3.16 says, that he gave his only begotten son. As he's generous, he wants you and me to be generous with our time, with our resources, with everything about our lives. Be generous. That's what Paul said to the believers in Corinth. Practice generosity because he's generous. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So make sure you live a generous life if we're going to be a faithful church. Number three, committed. Committed to do what? Committed to live out what God saved you for. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Be committed to do what God saved and left you here to do. See, when he saved you, he gifted you and left you here. He could have called you on to heaven, but be committed to say, God, what do you desire? What is your will for my life? And I'm going to carry it out. Be committed to live God's way. Number four is consistent. It matters how you live your life. That's what Paul said to the believers in Ephesus in chapter five. He says, be careful how you walk, be careful how you live. Not as those who are unwise, but as wise, making the most of your days. Be consistent because as we're gonna see, Jesus is holy, he is true, he's faithful. He wants us to be consistent in our relationship with him as well. Number five, prayerful. Be prayerful, prayerful for who? Prayerful for leaders. 
We thank God that you pray for us. We thank God that you lift our names up to the Heavenly Father and you ask him to use us and to bless us and give us wisdom and discernment as we lead. Paul did that on numerous occasions to say, pray for me. He was not ashamed to ask the people of God to pray for him. And so if we're going to be an obedient church, an obeying church, then we need to be faithful people. And when I give you those five words, how do you live those out in your own life? How are you living those out in your family? How are we living those out as a church? I just encourage us, if we're going to be obedient, be faithful. Number two, biblical knowledge. When you look at this text again, we come and see what Jesus is saying to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? And then he gives some insight to him about who he is. He reveals himself to these believers in Philadelphia. He's revealing himself to you and me. He wants us to know who he is, how he works, and what he's going to do in the future. So he's telling them who he is. Let me give you these three words to help you understand who he is. The first word is holy. He says in this passage, the words of the holy one. What that means is he's separate. He's holy. He has called us to be holy because he is holy. That doesn't mean you're weird. That doesn't mean you're abnormal. It means you want to live the life of Jesus in life. Because why? He is holy. There's no sin in his life. He's never sinned. He's faithful. He's the holy one. And so be holy because he's holy. Second word is true. He says the holy one, and then he says after that, the true one. There is no hypocrisy in the life of Jesus whatsoever. When he makes a promise to you and me, he'll never break a single promise. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is true. You can always count on Jesus Christ. He sticks closer than a brother. Jesus Christ is holy, but he is also true. Word number three is the word sovereign. When you look at Jesus, he says in this passage, he goes on to say the holy one, the true one. And then he says, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. What does he mean by that? You may want to write down the side. He's talking about Elohim in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And so when you read Isaiah 22, verse 22, let me just turn back there. Let me read this for you. It's, it's a reference here to what he's talking about. So Isaiah 22, verse 22, And I'll place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. So what is he saying? That if you're going to go see the king, the king of David, somebody's got a key, and they're going to let you in to the king's presence. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, left heaven, came to this earth, took on human flesh at Bethlehem, lived a perfect sinless life, went to a cross and gave his life for you and me, shed his blood, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day gloriously, ascended back to the Father. One day is coming again. He is the key of David because there's not four ways to go to heaven. There are not two ways to go to heaven. There's one way to go to heaven and his name is Jesus. Why? Because he is the key of David. He has access to the Father, and he has, again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has access to the Father, and the way we go to the Father is through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. He is sovereign. Here's the question. How well do you know him? We've got to be faithful if we're going to be an obedient church, but biblical knowledge is a part of that. We need to know he's the holy one, he's the true one, he's sovereign. We need to know who he is and how he works and what he wants us to do. How well do you know Jesus in your life? Now, let me get in your business a little bit, and I'll get in my business a little bit. 
As you look back over your life this past week, how much time did you spend watching television? How much time did you spend surfing the internet? How many hours did you spend working at your vocation? How much time did you spend looking at your financial position to say, what's the stock market doing today? And what's the value of my house? Am I going to be able to retire? What's my retirement account like? How much time did you spend doing those things? Because if we're not careful when it comes to watching television and surfing the internet and even our vocations and when it comes to financials, that we can spend hours upon hours upon hours every week looking at those things. And then let me ask you this. How much time did you invest this past week seeking to know who Jesus is, what he wants you to do in your life, and how you can be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ in your life? How much time did you invest seeking to get to know him? It can be radically different sometimes. And again, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or shout out your answers, but when you look at it, are you spending more time for the things of this world or are you seeking to get to know him in your life? Now, if I ask you today a little trivia thing, who won the college football playoffs last year? Anybody know? Somebody don't even know. So that's, does it really matter at the end of the day? I could make a football comment right here, but I'm going to retain for free myself. I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to to be good. But but here, Georgia Bulldogs won it last year. They're looking to repeat again. Who won the Super Bowl last year? Anybody know? Kansas City. That's right. Somebody's excited about Kansas City. Now, if you ask uh, the players, the coaches of Georgia and Kansas City, what, what are your goals for this year? I don't imagine Georgia or Kansas City, either one would say, our goal is if we can have a 500 season this year, it's going to be a great year for us. That is not the answer they're going to give. And go, if you ask them, Kirby Smart and the coach of Kansas City, what is your goal? Here's what they're going to say. We want to win the national championship again. We want to win the Super Bowl again. They want to repeat and repeat and repeat. Their goal is not just to get by. Their goal is to win. If you ask Almighty God, what is the goal for your life? What is the goal for my life? Here's what he's going to say. The goal for your life and the goal for my life is to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes for us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that's the goal of the Heavenly Father for you and for me. So I ask you again, are you being conformed to the likeness, to the image of Jesus where you walk like him, you talk like him, you think like him, you serve like him? Jesus is the Lord of your life. Are you living that way? So if we're going to be a faithful church, an obedient church, an obeying church, we've got to be faithful, but also biblical knowledge is a part of that. We need to know who he is. He is holy. He is true, but he is also sovereign. He holds the key of David, meaning we have access to the Father because he gave his life for us. Number three, spiritual dependence. When you think about what Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, He's just going to write them now and give them some statements here that are going to be piercing statements to them as a church because ultimately what's going to happen in this context is that the church in Philadelphia, they were not strong as we understand strength, meaning they weren't a large influential church. He says they had but little power, but understand this, they had significant spiritual power. Why? Because they were absolutely dependent on Jesus for their survival. 
Everything about their, their life as a church depended on the presence and power of the Lord Jesus. They were spiritually dependent. And so if we're going to be an obedient church, we've got to be faithful. We've got to have knowledge about who he is, but we also need to live dependent on who Jesus is as well. Let me give you some insight here where he says, you just want to write these down. I'm not going to give you these five blanks just yet because I want you to see from God's word. What is Jesus revealing himself? What is he saying to the church in Philadelphia? Here's what he says. First, he says, I know your works. And behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. What does he mean there? Ultimately, he's talking about going to heaven. He's opened the door. He's got the key of David. He's opened a way for you to go to heaven and no one can shut that. No one can steal your salvation. You are eternally secure in Christ. I know, he says, I know your works. He knows everything about this church. He knows everything about our church as well. Please understand, he knows who's fake and he knows who's real. Uh, you may fool other people in your life, but you will never fool the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you can write this down as well. He knows the motives of what we do. He knows why we're here this morning. He knows what we did last night. He knows what we did last week. He knows everything about us. He knows if we have cancer or not. He knows that job loss that came our way. He knows that we've experienced the death of someone that we love. He knows all those things. He says, I know your works. Again, you can fool other people, but you'll never fool him. And he knows the motives of what we do as well. And so as we think about the faith building, as we move forward, some radical things for us, major emphasis when it comes to the faith building, he knows the motives of why we're seeking to do what we do. Is it for self? Is it for the health of this church? Is it for the glory of God? He knows every single motive of what we do. And he says, I know your works. He knows their works. He knows our works as well. I remember when I would meet with pastors when I was with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Again, I would sit down at a table at Cracker Barrel and 15 minutes into it, they were sharing the hardest parts of their lives and ministers with me. Why? Because they understood I knew tough ministries. They knew that. And so we can share our hearts with Jesus because he knows everything about us. I know your works. And so we look at this and we find one, he says he knows. Then he says this, we see an open door. I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And the door there he's talking about is salvation. I've opened a door that no one can shut. Why? Because I laid down my life on Calvary's cross. I shed my blood. I faced the pain and humiliation of the cross. I gave everything in my life so that you could be forgiven, born again, saved, have the assurance that you're going to go to heaven when this life is over. I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. You want to write this down. You know this. Muhammad will not save you. Buddha will not save you. Materialism will not save you. Only Jesus Christ will save you. He is the only one who was saved. And so Jesus is saying to the church, listen, I know you, I know your works. I've opened a door for you that no one was shut. I've made a way for you to be saved, have access to the Father. It is only through me. And then he comes and says to them, not only have I done those things for you, but he says, behold, I have you but a little power. You don't have a lot of power. And what he means is you are totally dependent upon me. You are relying upon me. Church, what are we depending on? I pray we're not depending on buildings. I pray we're not depending on bank accounts. Those can be gone in the blink of an eye. We need to be dependent as a church on Jesus Christ and him alone. Outside of Christ, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do all things. Are we dependent upon him? 
And then he says to them as a church, he says, you, you, you don't have much power, yet you have kept my word. They were faithful to God's word. When you look around at churches today, and I hope our hearts are grieved because we see major, major congregations who are leaving faithfulness to God's word. That should cause us concern. I'm grateful when you go to your connect group. I'm grateful when you come into this worship center. We stand here with an open Bible without apology. This is the word of God. We want to be faithful to his word. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. It is true from beginning to end. We want to preach and teach the word of God because his word is true. And so when you look at it, you can't live without food. And believer, let me say this to you. You can't live without spiritual food, and that is the milk and meat of the word of God in your life. And so that's why I encourage you, stay in God's word. Stay in God's word. Listen to what God is saying to you. Be faithful to God and be faithful to his word. When I'm counseling, you may come in sometimes, sit down and have a conversation with me. One of the things you'll see me do, and I'm not doing this for superstition reasons. I'm doing it because I want to be faithful to God's word. When I'm counseling, whether it's an individual, a couple, or a family, my Bible is open to John's gospel, chapter 15. Why? Because I, the Bible just says the Holy Spirit's going to work in your life. He'll give you the words to say. So when I'm meeting with somebody in a counseling situation, I need the wisdom of God and the word of God. God, I've studied your word. I've tried to hide it in my heart. And so God, show me what you want me to say to these individuals. It's not based upon me. God, I'm dependent upon you. And so I'm looking at John 15. And then I also know this for protection because I know whoever I'm counseling with, if they're going to get to me, they've got to go over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get there it's a protection as well be faithful to God's word look at the next one he said I this not only were they faithful to his word he said they have not denied his name they were faithful to Christ and they were faithful to his name last night and this morning I've been worshiping the Lord with a song just listening to it again and again and again there's something about that name Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Church, please understand, when you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. There have been places that I've been invited to come and pray, and I would ask my assistant to say, you need to make sure that they're comfortable if I pray in the name of Jesus. And they come back and say, we'd rather him not pray in the name of Jesus. And then I would say, I don't know how to pray outside of his name. I want to be faithful to Christ. I'm not going to deny his name when I'm in a conversation with him. I'm going to pray in his name. If you're comfortable praying in his name, I'd love to do that. But I'm not, I'm going to pray in his name. And when we praise the Lord, let's praise the Lord in his name. When we preach God's word, let's exalt his name. Let's be faithful to his name because there's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We hear a lot of God talk in our day, but where the rubber meets the road is when you start using the name of Jesus in life. That's when it changes. But church, let's be faithful to say this. Hey, we know he knows us. We know he's opened the door. We, we know we have a lot of power. We're dependent upon him. We also know we want to be faithful to his word, but we do never want to deny his name. Let's make much of the name of Jesus because his name is wonderful. It is powerful. It is beautiful. It is the name that is above every name. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
something about his name. And so that's the church in Philadelphia. Now, I want to give you a little insight here, and I'm going to go through these quick. But when God opens doors and closes doors, I think in this context, he's talking about salvation. But we also know that God opens doors, closes doors. So when I look at, Angie and I look together and see how God's worked in our lives over the years, there have been doors that he has opened and we've walked through. There have been other doors that he closed and we walked away from. Were we disappointed? Yes. But in the end, we saw the hand of God in the midst of that. So let me give you some insights here. I'm going to go through these fast. But where you can understand what if God opens a door or what if he closes a door? If, if he closes the door, why did he do that? Write these down here. Number one is protect us. You can't see on the other side of the door. There are times that God will close the door in your life because he sees on the other side and he is protecting you from something that you don't even see in your life. And I just encourage you, when that door closes, don't try to crash into it. Don't try to beat it down. Don't try to open it on your own. Walk away from it and say, God, you are protecting me because you love me. Thank you for protecting us in life. He protects us. Number two, prepares us. There are times God opens doors. There are times he'll close doors so that he is preparing us for something ahead. I could give you an example of a situation that we thought God was going to do that and the door closed, but in the truth of the matter, he was preparing us and he's preparing the situation. A year later, God opened that same door and it was the right time, but there are times he will protect you and he will prepare you. That's why he opens some doors and closes others. Number three, guides us. When you think about how God works, there are times he's going to guide us. You need to make sure that you stay in step with the timing of God. You don't want to run ahead of him. You don't want to lag behind him. You want to stay in step with the leadership of Jesus. Let him guide you in the Christian life. Number four is evaluate us. Why do you want to go to that university? Why do you want to be in that relationship? Why do you want that house? Is it for selfish reasons or is God leading you to do that? He will evaluate what your motives are. and You want to make sure your motives are faithful to him. And then number five, bless us. He will open doors. He will close doors because he wants to bless you and me. He has been good to this church. He's been good to you and he's been good to me. We have a good, good father in the Christian life. He wants to bless you in your walk with him. So those are some insights about open doors and closed doors. Let me give you number four, radical surrender. When you look at this text, and I want to give you these three words. They're not on the outline, but I encourage you to write them down. Because when he speaks to the church in Philadelphia, you're going to be able to see these words coming out in this text as principles. First word is victory. He talks about those who are the synagogue of Satan, who say they're Jews, but they're not. They're liars. You need to understand, boys and girls and students in this world, you need to know this. Some people are liars in life. Some people are not going to tell you the truth, and that's what he's saying. When it comes to the enemy, he is the father of lies, but there are people who are not going to be truthful with you. Make sure you listen to people who are truthful to God, but also to you. And so he says, one, there's going to be victory. I love that old hymn, Victory in Jesus. I am grateful we have victory in the Son of God and Savior of the world. We have victory in Jesus. Second word I want to give you is the word safety. He is going to protect his church. He talks about that in this day, in this hour of trial that is coming over the whole world. It's not just to one place, but it's all over the world. He is going to protect the church. First Baptist Church, I can say this with all conviction and honesty. The hand of God has protected this church in so many ways over its 192-year history. Thank God for his victory, but thank him for his safety and protection. He's faithful. 
And then the third one I want to give is the word blessings. He has blessed his church beyond what we can comprehend. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, he has done more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Now, you say, well, there's still a bunch of blanks here. We're running out of time. But we're going to go through these fairly quickly. When you think about an obedient, obeying church, what are we doing when it comes to worshiping God and loving people and sharing Jesus and making disciples? When it comes to disciple making, what kind of questions are we asking people about being a follower of Christ, being obedient to him, and being someone who obeys the leadership of Christ? I've had the opportunity on many different occasions to be with believers from around the world, persecuted countries, places they couldn't worship like this today, but they were faithful to Christ. They were obedient in their walk with him. And I would ask them, tell me about your disciple-making process. What are you asking new believers? How are you discipling them? What questions are you asking them? What are you giving the expectations for? And I've given you these here that I want you to see. I wrote these down when I was with a group of believers in a persecuted country, and they said these are the questions we're asking those who want to be followers of Jesus and to be obedient to him. Write these down. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? You have to realize in these persecuted countries, when you give your life to Jesus, many times you're not going to be able to stay in that home and you're going to lose the blessing of your father, your family. But are you willing to do that? Are you willing to leave home? And are you willing to lose the blessing of your father because you name the name of Jesus now in life? Number two, are you willing to lose your job? There are countries around the world when you give your life to Christ and you say yes to him, that he's your savior and your Lord, and you're going to pick up your cross daily and follow him, your vocation very well may be gone because your livelihood will need to be something else because you name the name of Jesus in life. Number three, are you willing to forgive those who persecute you and share the love of Christ with them? When you name the name of Jesus in these countries, you're going to be persecuted. But are you willing to forgive those individuals who persecute you? And are you willing to share the gospel with them? There's going to be a cost involved with it. But are you willing to do that to be an obedient follower of Jesus? Number four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Maybe money, maybe possessions, it may be your own life. But are you willing to give an offering to the Lord as an obedient follower of Christ? Number five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Listen to that question again. They ask these new believers and those who are picking up their cross and following him, be obedient. Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? You're not going to compromise. You're going to be faithful to Christ. You're going to name his name. You're going to be faithful to his word. And they may beat you as a result of that, but you will be faithful to him rather than denying the name of Jesus. Number six, are you willing to go to prison for your faith? What if they put you in a cell? What if they throw you in some kind of a dungeon? Are you willing to go to prison because of your relationship, your faith in Christ? Are you willing to live that faithful to him? And then number seven is kind of the capstone. Number seven, are you willing to die for Jesus? Let me ask you, moms and dads, as a church, what kind of questions are we asking people who want to follow Christ? How are we making disciples? The church in Philadelphia, what did Jesus say? I know your works. I put before you an open door and no one's going to be able to shut. You have little power, but you're totally dependent upon me. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. That's an obeying church. 
Let me give you a little word here and we're going to pray. He says in this passage to the church, also make sure that no one seizes your crown. Here's what that means. That we have an enemy and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. The crown is your reward. And he would love to steal that, seize that from you. I encourage you as as a child, as a student, as an adult, if you're going to be an obeying Christian and we're going to be an obeying church, we have to draw a line in the sand and say the enemy is not going to steal the reward and the crown that the Lord Jesus gives me. You're going to have to protect that under the power of Christ. You don't want him to steal your character. You don't want him to steal your integrity. You don't want him to steal your reputation. You don't want him to steal your marriage, your family. You don't want him to steal your kids or grandkids. You want to protect what the Lord Jesus has given you. You've got to be faithful to him. That's why it's critical for us to be an obeying church because we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have victory, safety, and blessings in Jesus in him so today I want us to bow our heads together and we're going to pray and we're going to give an invitation here as we do every single Sunday and you may respond privately right where you're going to be seated or right where you're watching at from your computer television wherever it may be and there may be something personal that the Lord wants to do in your life and I just encourage you to surrender your life to him But also when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified before people. He walked the streets of Jerusalem carrying his cross and he ultimately nails were driven in his hands and feet for people to see. He gave his life before others. And there may be that that the Lord's asking you to make a decision today in this worship gathering that needs to be public. It doesn't need to be private. You need to be public. You need to walk forward to one of our pastoral staff members and say, I'm lost. I need to get saved today. Jesus is the only one who will save me, and I need that today. You may need to go public and be baptized as a believer in Christ. Again, follow the leadership of Jesus to go public in your relationship with him. You may need to join a fellowship of this church today. Be public in that. He's calling you to ministry. Be public in that. He's calling you to be faithful to his word and not deny his name. Be faithful to that. Go public for him. Take a stand for him. Draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to be faithful to his word. I'm not going to deny his name. I'm going to live my faith in Christ out before other people. Be public in that. And you can surrender all. In this room or watching around the world, respond in this invitation or the platform you're watching on, we're just asking you as the Holy Spirit leads, surrender all to him. I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand and sing, and then we encourage you to obey the leadership of Jesus and surrender all because he has surrendered all for you and for me. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for your surrender. Lord, give us by your Holy Spirit's power courage to surrender as well. Lord Jesus, we want to exalt you and honor you and obey you. Help us to be an obedient church and obedient believers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.